You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm in the Middle in chronological order. Today, we're talking about Baby Part 1, which originally aired May 11th, 2003, was directed by James Simmons, and written by Rob Haney. Hi, I'm Jake, and it's okay to cry. Tears are free. No, you did not steal my intro line. I hate you so much with a passion. And I'm David, and Jake is a thief. Well, feel free to cry about it, David. Tears are free. You can cry all over your $3 shirt. If we only looked at things we could afford, we'd only look at crap. There you go. I had a backup, but I hate you so much that I had to use it. Man, that was a long intro line, David. Yeah, fix it in post. I don't care. I, God, uh. Oh, no, that's all saying it. That's fine. Whatever. Look, let the internet know you're a piece of shit. I, I, whatever. You've taken everything from me. I'm a shell of a man. By the time we finish this podcast, I might just be in the corner, in the fetal position, rocking back and forth, like humming the theme song to myself and just like reciting all of the things you've taken from me. It's the goal. It's the point of podcasting. Is it? To emotionally crush your co-host. <laughs> I think we're listening to very different podcasts. All podcasts are a competition, and I'm winning. Wow. <laughs> Man, dude, we're three minutes in, and my head already hurts. This is going to be a great episode. I agree. <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> going to get a lot of psychic damage this, <laughs> this episode. God. One step closer to defeating you. <laughs> but before we get into this week's episode we have our community segment oh this is where i really get kicked in the balls nah not this week yeah we don't have any emails entitled david's an idiot nope we sure don't okay like they're not wrong but it it hurts but what we do have is a patreon which is how you can support us monetarily, which helps us do this show along with all of the other stuff that we do. And you can find that on patreon.com slash let's play death ray. Yeah. Or just Google it or click the link in the episode description. We're getting ready to do another one of our uh, bonus episodes. Uh, Gone in 60 seconds is coming up next. If you like Nicolas Cage, you'll want to listen to that podcast because uh, we really deep dive on his movies. Uh, in fact, He's the only actor we talk about in it. Yeah. It's a lot As of fun. As it should be. The one true actor. The one true. I mean. Excuse me. Thespian. There you Doesn't go. like to be called an actor. That's right. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah. Dude, listening to him talk about his role as Ghost Rider made me realize, like, I, I, I think your theory about him realizing the type of roles he's in and, like, purposely being Goofy Cage, I, mm, I think you're wrong. <laughs> Oh, no, I don't think it's on purpose at all. Okay. No, I think I think it's up to the directors to know what kind of actor Nicolas Cage is. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll save that discussion for the, our Nicolas Cage podcast. <laughs> we sure will. There's your sneak, there's your sneak preview, because, uh, boy, do I have some stuff to talk about in Gone with 60 Seconds. I'm sure I will. I remember watching that movie when it was a new movie and hating it. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Well, and, and now, like... With all the uh, DC and Marvel stuff going on, he's been, like, there's been a lot of coverage of him at premieres and stuff, and uh, I feel like we're going to talk about that. <laughs> okay, but getting back on topic, we have some polls to look at. Looking back on Reese's Party, uh, an episode that we were in agreement for our Shittiest and Least Shitty Kid Awards for once. Because we both chose Dewey as least shitty kid for bonding with Craig and refusing to leave him behind and for being the one who dealt with the meth lab in the garage. Yep. And the internet unanimously agreed with us on that one. And for shittiest kid, we both agreed that Francis was shittiest for not dealing with the meth lab problem and for all of his... Past transgressions, which Donnie was able to use against him, and for wanting to abandon Craig when he was taken captive. And the internet agreed with us, but not unanimously on that one. There was a singular vote for Reese. Okay. 
But that wraps up our community segment, so let's get into the episode proper. And it, of course, starts with a cold open. Uh, it starts with Lois at the kitchen sink doing some dishes, and she hears a crash from the other room, and, of course, walks over to investigate, but she doesn't see any of the boys, and she also doesn't see anything destroyed, and she's, like, looking around, and she yells out, that, uh, you know, who, whoever broke something, I'm going to find you, and I'm going to find out what you did. And she, she's, like, looking around the room and looking down and not seeing anything. But when she looks down, we get, like, a from-her-point-of-view shot, and you just, like, see her pregnant stomach. And it zooms out to show Dewey hiding under her stomach, holding a broken, uh, like, little statuette thing. <laughs> and that is it for the cold open. And uh, for this one, I sort of divided the plots into two, but they, they do sort of uh, separate more than that, but they kind of weave in and out of each other. Uh, so I sort of separated them by location, essentially. Okay. With there being the H plot, which of course stands for house, and the E plot for expo. <sighs> I know you're waiting for my reaction, but I'm not going to give you the satisfaction. Okay, fair enough. They, they both sort of start together, and then the E-plot splits off. Uh, so we, we will uh, start where, where they're both together. The episode starts with Lois talking to Piyama about how happy she is to have Francis home and how it's you know, been a long time since they've seen him. And then sort of snidely throwing in, oh, and you coming was a bonus too. And uh, she, she also says that she is glad Francis is here to help Hal finish the nursery because it never would have gotten done uh, without him because Hal has a thing about heights. But we see that uh, at play as Hal is on the bottom rung of a ladder Passing a hammer up to Francis, but he but he can't reach it. <laughs> and Francis is telling him, you're, you're going to have to go up one more rung. But Hal's saying they can't, and he's complaining that his ears are popping. Look, that's that is relatable for me. Okay, I don't know what Same. like I don't like I don't like heights less so than you as far as just heights in general. But ladders, I don't know what it is that adds. That's like compounding fears like i can deal with heights way better than i can deal with heights and ladders and then if you put like a ladder up on a high platform and then make me climb nope nope uh, i'll dive right now i'm i'm done like <laughs> i just i don't know what it is i hate ladders i hate ladders in video games dude i mean Ugh. they are bad in that game they are <laughs> why could video games not figure out <laughs> right like universally they're terrible <laughs> Fair. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm slightly better than Hal, but not by much. Three rungs up is where I, uh, th that's where ladders become very scary for me. I, I can force myself to go past that, but I hate it. Which means I, I'm two rungs above Hal. Fair, fair enough. But then we sort of cut away to Malcolm, who walks through the front door with Lloyd, and <laughs> their mid-conversation, uh, Lloyd is very happy because his... Doctor told him that uh, in another year, he won't have to wear his special shoes anymore. He'll be down to nights and weekends. <laughs> but they get distracted as Malcolm like has a bunch of mail and he's going through it. And Lloyd sees that he got mail from Martindale Academy, which is a very exclusive private school that Malcolm has never heard of. Which Lloyd, Lloyd says uh, they, they've spent millions of dollars ensuring that he's never heard of them. That's right. They're very uh, selective. Yes. You don't apply. They find you. That's right. Which Lloyd tells Malcolm when he opens it up and finds that it's an acceptance letter. And Lloyd is, like, very happy for it and, like, starts talking about how great and exclusive the school is. But then realizes that Malcolm won't be able to go because he's too poor. He's the poorest person Lloyd knows. And he apologizes for dangling that sort of luxury and power that he could have in front of Malcolm and then taking it away. 
that's where my opening line comes from. As he he tells Malcolm to feel free to cry. Tears are free. <laughs> it's a very funny line. Going back to the uh, rest of the family, we then see Lois and Hal arriving back at home while everyone else is sitting around the table. And they've just gotten back from a visit to the doctor. And the baby is bigger than they thought. And so the due date has been moved up as they are going to induce labor on Thursday. Which when they say that, both Reese and Dewey immediately get upset. (laughs) We'll find out why Dewey's upset later. I think Reese is just upset that the baby's coming earlier. (laughs) Or just at all. Like, I think Reese is just reacting out of anger for anger's sake. Hal starts to quote-unquote reassure them as he says, I know this means our lives are ending a week earlier. (laughs) When when, uh, Lois says something, he uh, starts backtracking, saying, and it's going to be replaced with a better life. (laughs) But Lois says that Hal should uh, take the boys out to do something fun with with this last week because... Uh, she wants some time alone to clean up the house before the baby comes anyways. And Piyama offers to help clean, which Lois says, Well, that'll take longer, but I guess I could use the company. <laughs> and Hal says that he uh, saw in the paper that there is a car show they can go to. Which Malcolm uh, Im- immediately says, you know, the... Why do we want to go look at a bunch of stuff that we'll never be able to afford? Which is where your backup line came from. And that is where the two plot lines split off as Hal takes Reese, Dewey, and Malcolm off to this car show. Then we will follow Hal and the boys to the expo. The car show, Jake. Well, <laughs> as, uh, when they arrive... Where the uh, car show is supposed to be. Instead, there is a bridal expo going on. Which Malcolm immediately says, you know, let's leave. But Hal says, absolutely not. I already spent $15 on parking. We're going in. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, yeah, that's fair. And as they walk in, a conventional wedding band is playing... Celebrate Good Times by Cool and the Gang. And almost immediately, Dewey, like, goes off missing as, like, Hal is telling Malcolm and Reese, you know, to uh, have fun with, with the, this show when, when Reese is complaining that this might be the most boring place in the world. You're, you're young and at a bridal expo. You should be having the times of your life. Dewey goes off and starts in on sort of his little side adventure on this expo is he finds a stagehand guy who's like working on a spotlight and he asks him, what do those wires go to? And he tells him about this spotlight and he asks Dewey if he likes that and Dewey says he does. And then he says, let me tell you a story. (laughs) (laughs) And it cuts away. And meanwhile... Malcolm and Hal have a little conversation where Malcolm asks if Hal has any savings at all. And Hal just laughs at that and says, I'm going to have to tell your mother that one. (laughs) With uh, at this point, sort of the implication being that Malcolm is trying to find a way to go off to this nice school. Then the next time we come back to the expo, uh, we see a steel drum band. Also playing Celebrate Good Times by Cool in the Gang. (laughs) And it pans over to an announcer who has like a PA system and he is announcing free chicken dance lessons very unenthusiastically. And Dewey comes over to the desk that he's at and he once again uh, starts to tell this guy his story. And it cuts to Reese, Malcolm, and Hal, who were all at a wedding cake stand, and Reese asks for a slice with some flour on it, but the uh, guy running the booth, like, won't give it to him, and says that he's talking to paying customers, and 
Reese says, I could be a paying customer. And he asks, are you getting married? And Reese asks, why? Does someone like me? Then, <laughs> <laughs> as they're standing in this line, a guy who owns a tuxedo shop comes over. And he is played by Brian Stepanik, who is another one of those, like, has been around forever TV character actors. As Probably most known, he's like in that stable of Disney actors who was in like every terrible Disney sitcom. Right. Got everything. Yeah, at least a few episodes. Uh, Sweet Life of Zack and Cody was the big one where he was like a central actor. Really? Yeah. I don't I don't know that show. So like I, I've seen a lot of it, but not like by choice. It was one of those things. My sister-in-law watched a lot of it when we lived at at the same place so like i saw it on the tv a lot but maybe that's why i recognized him so quickly probably he's like a uh he's like the creepy janitor who's obsessed with their mom and yeah definitely don't remember that at all but yeah uh, i also have unwillingly i i guarantee i've seen every episode i've probably seen every episode of that show multiple times because all of my nieces and nephews were in like the age group to the, the like all they watched was the, those disney sitcoms gotcha gotcha that's crazy but yeah he shows up and he like taps reese on the shoulder and uh asks uh what size he is and he tells reese that he was supposed to have a employee like pass out business cards and wear one of his tuxes but they didn't show up so he offers reese 20 dollars to do that and Reese immediately refuses, but Hal says, $20, he'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> do you need anyone in my size? Then we see Reese being given his instructions on what he's supposed to do, which is that he is supposed to walk up to people and propose that they buy their tuxedo from whatever the tuxedo shops. Dude, it, I tried to write it down. It's so long and convoluted. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's sort of the bit, is that it's like a very hard-to-say name. Yeah. God. So awful. Like I, I struggled with, with the actor's actual name, let alone that fucking thing. <laughs> Which, Reese, upon hearing these instructions, takes the stack of business card and walks away and promptly throws them in the trash. <laughs> Which is fair. Well, like, walking around, passing out, you know, what uh, the, these business cards is one thing. Well, what that guy wanted him to do, not worth $20. <laughs> yeah, no, a little over the top. <laughs> but we then uh, see yet another rendition of Celebrate Good Times by Cool and the Gang. This time being played on accordion. <laughs> it is everywhere. <laughs> Dewey approaches this accordion player and walks up saying, I've always thought accordions are underrated. And he says, yeah, they are. And Dewey just asks, what are you doing at 314 today? Uh, 316. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right. I even have it in my notes. I just uh, went off of memory instead. Like uh -oh. a fool. Yeah, fool. I was going to say, yeah, because I'm looking at it in my notes because it's such a strange and precise time. I loved it. <laughs> it was funny. Yeah, well, he's got a plan. Yeah. Then we see Reese walking around the expo, and he's walking past the same, like, wedding cake booth that they were at before, and the guy running it doesn't recognize him and calls him over to, uh, you know, taste this, uh, cake, and this time when Reese asks if he can have a piece with flour on it, he says, no, you can have a piece with flour and some of the le lemon honeybee, and gives it to Reese. Then, when we come back again to the expo, there is a string quartet playing Celebrate Good Times by Cool in the Game. <laughs> Weird that we saw that again. And we once again go over to Reese, who is now, like, talking to a group of people, like a bunch of adults, and he's telling them the, the, the classic Orange You Glad I Didn't Say Banana knock knock joke, which they're all laughing at. And the owner of the tuxedo shop comes over to him with all of the business cards in hand and says, Hey, I found these in the trash. And when Reese tries to you know, get rid of him, saying, I, I'm talking to friends. Can we talk about this later? He says, No, you're clearly not doing what you're supposed to. I want my, my tux back. But Reese says, No, this is my tux. I like it. No, it's not your tux. It's my tux. 
Which then Reese distracts him by saying, hey, I'm over there, and running away, which works. <laughs> uh, I love that it works, too, because he, like, he registers almost immediately that he said the like you know that well, that what he said didn't make any sense but it right but he still looks that's right <laughs> then we go back to malcolm and hal and malcolm is still talking about their financial situation he says that uh, he does their taxes he knows how much money they make he knows how much money they spend and he's calculated it out and uh you know with the new baby coming they're going to be losing i think he says 70 dollars a week and He's, like, calculated how much debt they'll be up to by the time this other kid starts school. $18,000, and yes, it was $70 a week. And uh, Hal is, like, dismissing all of this, saying, you know, they'll figure something out. But Malcolm says he has a solution, and he pulls the acceptance letter out of his pocket and shows it to Hal, and he explains that it's this, you know, very prestigious school... Uh, in England, and that they have offered him a full-ride scholarship to this school, including room and board and all of his expenses, and that if he's not at home, that they uh, will be able to keep their head above water. But Hal immediately says, absolutely not, you don't get to leave. <laughs> and he explains to Malcolm that whenever they say things like, we'll figure it out or something will come up, what they really mean is Malcolm will find a solution. <laughs> and he <laughs> says that Malcolm is their only hope. He absolutely can't leave. So sad. And as they're like wrapping up that conversation, Dewey just walks up and hands Hal a heart-shaped balloon and then walks back away. <laughs> And as Hal is, like, looking around, asking, uh, where did Dewey go yet again, the lights all go out, and the spotlight kicks on, uh, directly on Hal, <laughs> and the announcer comes over and says that he has a heart-wrenching story for everyone, and he gives the mic to Dewey as the accordion player plays suitably dramatic music. <laughs> and Dewey tells his story about being the youngest of four boys, and uh, he's never had a, a warm shower or a bed to himself, and he's the third person to wear this underwear, but he never complains. And even when they told him there was another baby on the way, he was willing to share everything he had, but now they're... Uh, going to induce uh, labor a week early, and the baby's going to be born this Thursday. And Hal is, like, yelling out to him, not knowing where Dewey is, just sort of blindly yelling out. And he, he asks, you know, what's the big deal about us having the baby next Thursday? And Dewey says, well, what's special about next Thursday? And Hal still doesn't know until Dewey spells it out, saying, Next Thursday is my birthday! <laughs> Which prompts Hal to, like, initially he says, That's not your... And then he, like, does the math. <laughs> like, clearly, like, figuring out what date Thursday is, and realizes that they did schedule this on his birthday. And Dewey, like, ends his dramatic little moment by saying, And... That's how a little boy lost his birthday. <laughs> and if anyone has any uh, comments or feelings about that, my dad would love to hear them. Right. <laughs> then uh, we see Malcolm, Dewey, and Hal like walking through the expo, uh, sort of looking around for Reese, and someone like shoulder checks Hal as they as he passes, and everyone's like clearly glaring at him, and. Hal asks, Dewey, are you happy now? And Dewey just says, you know, I thought I would be, but I'm even happier than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> when Hal takes out his phone and realizes it's been off the entire time and he has 63 messages. Then from there, we will cut to the other plot line to find out why. Also, uh, real quick. It's uh, 68. Okay. And I only know that because, again, it was a number that I wrote down specifically in my notes for something that'll come up later. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> the H-plot picks up with the uh, Lois, Francis, and Piyama all cleaning, uh, as they sort of alluded to earlier. 
<laughs> and Piavo like cleans the kitchen table and then Lois comes over and starts cleaning the exact same spot she just cleaned. And as they're uh, talking, the baby starts kicking a bunch and Lois says it. it's weird, it's like there's something upsetting the baby. <laughs> and Ida pops up in the window, knocking on it and demanding to be let in. And they let Ida in, and she walks in with her suitcase and immediately informs them that she is moving in. Their family, they have to take care of her. And when Francis asks why she's moving in, saying you have a condo that's nicer than this place, Ida says that it burned down. And it's a mystery what happened. And as she's saying that, she's like sitting down on the couch, putting her lit cigarette down on the arm of the chair while she lights another. And Lois asks why she isn't staying with Susan, because Susan was always the favorite. And Ida explains that she's not the favorite anymore, because Susan called Ida bitter, and then hung up on her. <laughs> or I hung up on her. Who can remember? <laughs> uh, dude, Ida is so much like my grandma. So much in this episode, to a frightening amount uh and we'll get i'm sure i'll i have a story to tell later uh in this episode because a very similar thing that happens in this episode happened to my grandmother but like dude it's scary accurate literally the only difference is my grandmother never smoked but like everything else is ida like it's it's creepy <laughs> ida when they're, like, talking about not being able to take her in, says you can afford a maid in reference to Piyama. <laughs> Which Piyama explains she's not the maid. She's married to Francis. And Ida just said, turns to Francis and says, don't let the help talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> then we see Ida replacing pictures, like, take, taking theirs down and putting her own up. And Francis and Lois are in the kitchen talking about how to uh, get rid of her. Fran Francis is worried that Lois is going to let Ida get away with this. And initially, Lois is sort of saying, you know, she's my mother. I have to take her in. And Francis points out that this means that she'll be there when the baby's born. And Ida will be one of the first people that the baby meets. <laughs> The, the panic on Lois's face in that moment is perfect. Yes, and this finally convinces her to confront her mother, which she does. Like, initially, she's, you know, sort of has it all together, and she, she tells Ida, I have something important to talk to you about. But then as soon as she gets into it, she just, like, breaks down and starts talking about how Ida is a horrible mother, and she always has been, and... She always treated her sister better than her and made her feel worthless and just, like, lets all of these, like, long-held issues out. And she wraps up by telling Ida that uh, she needs to get out of her house. She's not asking, she's telling her to leave. And Ida just looks at her and says, no. <laughs> And when Lo Lois says, what do you mean, no, I'm kicking you out. Ida says, what, are you going to throw an old woman out on the street in front of all of your neighbors? And Francis says, that's exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> and he walks over and, like, grabs her and is physically picks her up and is clearly planning on physically throwing her out of the house. But Ida just reaches down grabs his testicles and squeezes them until Francis lets her go. They're clearly an extreme pain. Then, with that having failed, we see their next attempt to kick Ida out as they she, she's, like, sleeping on the couch, and Lois wakes her up, which, as Ida, like, uh, you know, startled beamed, woke it up, she, she just says, Take the children! Please, just don't kill me! <laughs> <laughs> uh, very noble very noble then lois informs ida that she has called the police and you know, they've just arrived and she's forced her hand and she, lois like starts walking towards the door and ida gets up and is following her and like the entire way to the door she's talking about how they're family and you know they 
She can't believe that they would do this sort of thing to her. Then as soon as the door opens, before anyone else can say anything, Ida says, These are the people that you're looking for. Take them away. They've been stealing from me. (laughs) (laughs) The good old Uno reverse card. (laughs) (laughs) When Lois, like, protests, you know, starts to try to say that, you know, this is her house, Ida immediately says, no, it's not. This is my house. I have the deed. It's in this safety box at this specific bank. <laughs> and Lois, like, very clearly flustered, starts, like, saying, no, I have the deed. It's in a shoebox under the bed. Or, okay, I don't know where it is, but I have it. <laughs> and Ida says that Lois is a liar, and she has been ever since she took her in. And she says that Francis is her boyfriend, and she sort of, like, goes over to one of the police officers and, and like, you know, gets up next to him and says he's, you know, big, how big and strong do you have to be to beat up a poor old woman? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, desperate Francis, like, starts pleading with the officer, you know, saying, you know, this is what she does, you have to stop her, and he, he, like, grabs him by the collar very dramatically, (laughs) then just... Hard cuts to Francis on the ground, restrained, with the cop having, like, his nightstick, like, pressing down Francis's head, with his arms, like, stretched out behind his back, and Francis is, you know, much more calmly explaining how Ida manipulates people, and, you know, if you knew her, you would be able to understand what's going on here. Yes, yes, professional Francis uh, has come out now. Yes. And meanwhile, the other cop is explaining to Ida and Lois, on Monday, whoever really does have the deed can go down to the courthouse and file a report, and this will all be sorted out in six to eight months. That's right. In a timely fashion. (laughs) And uh, as they're leaving, the other cop threatens Francis, saying if he hurts a single hair on that poor old lady, he'll be back when he's off duty. And... We go to a very awkward meal, as they're uh, sitting there eating soup and rolls, and they're, they're all, like, very quiet, and no one's talking until Ida asks Francis to pass a roll, which he, like, tears a chunk of bread off, uh, like, licks all over it, and throws that at Ida. And she just looks at him and says, you think I care about that? And eats it. <laughs> and she says, why do you think your soup tasted different when you came back from the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And she gets up and uh, leaves the table. And with her gone, Francis once again turns to Lois and says, there has to be a way to get rid of her. Uh, she can't stay here. But... Lois has given up, she says. Ida's just too powerful. And Francis uh, insists that every monster has a weakness. He says, Frankenstein has fire. Dracula has the cross. What's the one thing Grandma's afraid of? (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) And it just hard cuts to Abe sitting at the kitchen table. Oh. So remember how I said this is relatable? <laughs> yep. Oh, man. So before we get into what they do, because it's not quite like that, but uh, yeah, again, my grandma to the T, like she's from Oklahoma, very racist, tried to be polite, but like, oh, man, my parents had a uh, gentleman from Kenya who was staying with them uh, from their church, and like he came over and ate dinner with them at my grandma's house. And uh, she, like, threw the plates away afterwards and stuff because, you know, she's racist. And, you know, those people are dirty. Just like, fuck. So to mess with her, my dad, uh, which, again, this is also fucked up. Like, no one in my family is good people. I'm just going to preface this story. But knowing that my grandmother is a bigot and an idiot, or was, she's dead now, he, he fucking taught this dude that fuck was like a way of saying like good like very good so the whole time she's asking him questions and like they're eating like when they got done he's like yes the meal was very fuck (laughs) and just shit like that yeah again my dad's a bad person so is my grandma but uh basically to hear my mom tell the story 
the way that this ends up for Ida with her like screaming and running out of the room is literally what my grandmother did. And she ended up like yelling and like running out of the dining room and locking herself in the art studio until they left. Jesus. Yeah, dude. My grandma was a horrible person. <laughs> Again, this this episode is way too way too real for me. Okay. Uh, I will say my, my grandma was like not as racist as most of that side of the family. I mean, she, she still like said and did some like really fucked up stuff, but she at least like tried to be less shitty. Right. Yeah. No, I, I get that. Kind of. I mean, well, let's face it. Our grandpa that we shared, you know, like he he was racist, but he was a nice racist. I, I, don't, I don't even know how you describe that. Yeah. He was definitely one of those racists who didn't know he was racist. Right. Yeah. It's like the you can tell when like an old like a very old person was like the progressive person of their like area and family. <laughs> yeah. But is like by modern standards still very racist. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. She she was the like the same way. That that makes sense. Yeah. No, I wish I could say the same for my grandma. No. She is <laughs> she was Ida. <laughs> right. But yeah, uh, getting back to the episode. Lois explains uh like, like sort of awkwardly to Abe that uh, you know that they've invited him over because they think he can help with an issue they're having <laughs> uh w- with her mother, which you know, uh, Abe says, "Oh yeah, I understand that. Whenever my mom comes over, she makes pecan pie with the real whipped cream because she knows that that's my one weakness." And Francis says, "Yeah, my grandma's kind of like that, except that she's a does he call her a, a sack of pure hatred or something like I, that?" I, I think so. Yeah, he calls her like a sack of yeah, who, who only lives to destroy things. Yeah. <laughs> And Lois says that Ida is a horrible bigot who is afraid of black people. And Abe, after like a few seconds of confusion, sort of picks up that they want Abe to scare her into leaving. And he you know, says that he thinks he can do that. Then we see this uh, plan in action as the... Entire poker crew has been roped into this plan, uh, and Lois is apologetically like thanking them for helping with this. Uh, which, uh, they all say that they're willing, and one of them is very excited because, uh, you know, he hasn't acted since college. <laughs> and they, uh, enact their plan as Ida comes out into the kitchen where Brian and Abe are sitting at the kitchen table, and uh, Lois, like, introduces them, and uh, Brian gets up and pointedly says that uh, he's going to go use her bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, this whole scene is hilarious. I love it. <laughs> and when uh, she introduces Abe, Abe, like, uh, you know, uh, starts to welcome her in typical fashion, but then, like, uh, tries to, you know, a- act like a thug and, like, tries to do the, like, stereotypical black stuff, but is very bad at it because he's Abe. He's very bad at it, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, it, but it's, it's, I don't know, it's kind of funny to watch him struggle at it. But, yeah, he's trying to, he's trying to do, like, the, the gangsta speak, but uh, yes. fails at it so hard, and it's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> it ends with him saying... Can't touch this, as he, like, clearly can't think of, like, another, like, (laughs) gangsterism to throw out. (laughs) Then the rest of them come in, uh, like, unannounced, as they they just, like, poke their head in and say, I hope everyone's decent. And uh, they say that they let themselves in with with the spare key. And Lois says, well, that's why you have it, so you can come in at any time. (laughs) (laughs) And then proceeds to introduce them all as their neighbors. Totally yes. lying and saying that, you know, Trey lives across the street and one of them, I can't remember his name, lives next door. <laughs> yes, this is uh, Trey, Steve, and Malik. As Lois is like, you know, pointing out where all of them are, one of them like leans in towards Ida and says, yeah, it's almost like you're surrounded. 
<laughs> when uh, Ida, with, with like shaky hands, starts like trying to pull out a cigarette, which uh, Steve like offers to uh, light for, he takes it out and he you know, very pointedly and exaggeratedly puts it in his mouth as he lights it and then gives it back to her. Then it ends with Trey, like, leaning in, having, like, walked, uh, like, through the hall behind her and asking, you know, uh, what are you doing later? He likes that wagon that she's dragging. Yes. <laughs> God, what an old fucking <laughs> line. Which, uh, as you alluded to earlier, literally sends Ida screaming out of the room. Oh, it's so perfect. <laughs> Then uh, Lois, like, goes into the room where Ida is packing up, asking, you know, uh, what, what's the problem? Uh, why are you leaving? <laughs> sort of playing up, not knowing what the problem is. But Ida says that uh, she, she's leaving. She doesn't understand how they can live like this. She'd rather sleep in a dumpster. Good. Go sleep in a dumpster. And as she starts to leave... Lois starts to have contractions. She is going into labor, which when she, like, reacts to that and Ida notices and Ida asks, what's wrong with you? Lois says, uh, nothing and is, you know, trying to hide it because she's worried that if Ida knows she's going into labor, she'll stay. Yep. Which Lois rushes out and, you know, tries to tell Francis this and, you know, that he needs to get your grandma out of here. And as Ida comes out, uh, Piyama, like, steps in and tries to rush Ida out. But as Lois is, like, saying her farewells, you know, trying to speed through getting her out of the house, uh, like, right before Ida can leave, Lois's water breaks. And seeing this, Ida says, maybe I'll stay a few more minutes. <laughs> then, uh, we see he, uh, this is sort of where the two plot lines come back together. As Hal calls Lois back, you know, that that being the reason that he had all of these missed calls, and uh, Lois is uh, like surrounded by the poker crew. Uh, Abe is like timing her contractions, and they're like trying to help her with everything. And we get some like back and forth between the two, uh, as you know, she tells Hal that the baby is coming, and he, uh, while very clearly panicking, is. You know, talking about uh, her staying calm and how he's, you know, trying to decide which route would be the best uh, to get home. And then he's, like, putting the uh, phone, like, up to his chest to cover the receiver and screaming out for Reese as they're, like, frantically trying to find him so that they can leave. And then, like, Lois very similarly is, you know, trying to keep Hal calm and telling him to be careful while he's driving while, you know, going into labor. And... They end up finding Reese as he is hiding in what he describes as the giant violin case. Yeah, that's right. The giant violin. That's what it is. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no other instrument. Nope. And they're like frantically trying to get him out, but they can't get it open. And Hal like starts kicking at it. And one of the, you know, presumably band members that uh, this case belongs to sees this and starts yelling at them. Which uh, prompts a panicked Hal to just grab the case and they start to run. Which their uh, you know, chase mob is quickly joined by the owner of the tuxedo shop who was looking for Reese. Who wants his tuxedo back. And uh, security guards as they're like getting chased out of this expo. And even while running from this mob, Hal is still doing the same thing. Like, tried to sound, you know, calmed and reserved as he's talking to Lois to keep her calm. Well, uh, they, they, like, run through the parking lot and they manage to make it to the car. And they, like, throw Reese, who's still in this uh, giant violin case, in the back. Then they get in and it seems like they're going to make it out. But Hal doesn't have the keys. And that's when uh, Reese, you know, still in this case says, oh, I have the keys, and the security guard catches them. Of course Reese would have the keys. Why Why not? Of course. And the episode ends with a to-be-continued. Uh, so with that, let's go to our awards. Bum, bum, bum. Awards. And as usual, we will start with our Roller Skating King Award, our award for the best visual moment. 
What did you choose? I had to go with what I put in my notes is literally the bigot exorcism. I love the scene where Abe and and Malik and Steve and everybody come in and just absolutely terrify Ida. But it's 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 just it's super funny. Also, I love the idea of Abe trying to be like, you know, hood, but clearly being incapable of doing it. Right. It's just it's really funny and Cloris Leachman is such an amazing actress, dude. I love her and the way that she's able to play Ida and like she looks actually genuinely scared. I don't know. The scene just looks amazing. I also love the camera angles to like that they use to very clearly point out that, you know, she is much shorter than all of these people as far as the character, you know? Right. I love it. I chose uh, the, the very like small detail that, that I actually brought up as we were going through it, but I love that like we see Piyama like cleaning the table and then she like steps away from it, like clearly having finished, and then Lois immediately just follows behind her and starts doing the exact same thing that she had just done. It's just such a, a nice little clever way uh, of like showing their very petty, like uh, mostly one-sided rivalry that's still going on. Uh, interestingly, that that's actually a thing that reminded me a lot of uh, my grandma and, and her relationship with my own mom. <laughs> that That's the exact sort of petty that she was with that kind of thing. Right. Then moving on to our next award, which line did you give the Hot Dog with Mustard Award, the award for best line? So this is so another one that uh, I think I'm going to go with one that I uh, we haven't mentioned. Because there were there were several, but most of them have been mentioned through one one avenue or another. So I'm gonna actually pick one of my other ones, and that is uh, when Ida's coming out of the uh, bedroom. I think for the first time that you see her leaving the bedroom, she says, uh, "Ugh, four pillows on one bed. This is why you can't feed your children." Yeah, that, that, that's what she's saying as she like comes out to find the, 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 that's where they like enact their plan. Yeah, yeah, that's what she's saying. Yeah, when yeah. she discovers Abe. Yep. I went with Piyama's line where they're explaining their their plan initially to Abe that uh, they want to uh, have him as a black man scare her. And Piyama says, I do it, but I'm not dark enough. I just annoy her. I hate that that line feels so real. It really does. (laughs) Then going to our next award. What uh, moment or detail did you give the OK Boomer Award? I gave it to Hal's cell phone. It's one of the original old Nokia phones. Do you think he has Snake on there? Oh, definitely he does. (laughs) It's one of the original Nokia compact phones when they uh, made them actually cellular mobile devices instead of like the uh, giant bag cell phones and uh, car phones. And that model survived pretty much all through the 90s and into like god you could still get them in like 2005 it survived for forever because the phones could not break um like obviously other phones had come out and they weren't like the go-to cell phone but dude i remember when they took those off the shelf a lot of my friends who were in like security and law enforcement that i'd met through stuff in uh college at that point they were upset that they couldn't get them anymore because that's what they used for, like, their work phones and stuff. They had their Blackberries for their personal phones in, like, 2005, 2006, or whatever was the popular thing then. But uh, right. they were still using those old-school Nokia cell phones for their work phones because they just never died. You could throw those things up against the wall, submerge them, and they just they wouldn't die. <laughs> Fair enough. I chose Celebrate Good Time by Cool and the Gang. <laughs> As, like, the, like, typical, like, wedding song. Because, like, like, that, obviously, like, like that's the whole joke, is that that's, like, a song that's going to be played at, like, every wedding. That's why, like, all of these wedding bands of, like, different styles are doing the same song. Right. And I don't feel like it has that status anymore. <laughs> no. No, yeah. <laughs> I I feel like it's mostly used to show, like nostalgia and that very specific period of time like early 2000s to 90s yeah it's how you signify like this is a wedding scene and like 
like the eighties to like the two thousand early two thousands. Is is like the the movie language of that song now. And moving on to our next award, which of these plot lines did you give the A plot of your I gave it to the lowest plot, because uh think that it was hilarious. I always love Cloris Leachman. I love Lois finally standing up to Ida. Francis is funny. Like, don't get me wrong, the boys' antics were funny too, but I just, I, I think it was definitely the stronger plot line for this episode. Yeah, no, 100%. I'm with you. I, I love getting to see, like, the, the poker crew out in, like, a different context, and I love how into it this plan that they get. Yeah. <laughs> like, how yeah. much they ham it up is great, and then, yeah. At any time... Ida's in a plot line. It's hard to beat that plot line. It is, dude. It, just the sheer talent that has been involved in this show. Like, not even, you know, including like the writers and producers and everything, because there are some really talented names involved in that. But the sheer magnitude of screen presence that this show gets, like B. Arthur and Cloris Leachman, I mean, Jason Alexander, even now, and like just all of these just really popular actors it's crazy to see how many of them they get yeah i also think it's like really smart on their part that like most of these actors that they're getting are like character actors yeah yeah as opposed to like you know like a i don't know who would have like rather than having like someone from friends on or something like that yeah, or trying to bring in, like, a big, like, movie star, action star or something, you know? Like, right. Like, the equivalent today would be, you know, like, bringing in, like, a Brad Pitt or someone. You don't really want to do that. You want to bring in character actors who are, you know, used to to kind of blending into that role, making that character. Instead of having a role written for them, they have to play the role. Yeah, I, I think that it works much better. It's why, like, usually I don't like big cameos in shows, but I like pretty much every cameo in Malcolm in the Middle. I think they all actually work really well Yeah, uh, for that reason. And because they're, they're not just, like, relying on the, like, oh, this is this person, and that's sort of the, the whole point of the cameo. They're, like, actual characters who have, like, actual interesting roles in the show. Yeah, and they don't try to do that weird, like, meta thing that's become a thing in newer sitcoms where it's like, this is Brad Pitt guesting as Brad Pitt. Like, right. okay, right, but why is Brad Pitt here in this world? Like, none of this makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. I love the way that they do it, and I, I think that that's the way everyone should do it, frankly. Like, if you're going to have somebody guest on your TV show, unless you're, like, a talk show, make them a character. Like, it makes the show feel more real, too. Right. Because it, it doesn't feel like they're just trying to shoehorn in people for uh, ratings. And I mean, maybe it's just, you know, the, the like, nerdy, hipstery side of me. But I also get much more excited about seeing the, these sorts of, like, beloved characters, act, actors show up and stuff than, like, big-name people. <laughs> That's fair. There's some big-name people that I would, like, geek out over. But only if it's done well. Like... Yeah, yeah. Fair. Yeah. Like I okay, for instance, growing up, like because of my mom, like I I loved seeing Sean Connery and stuff. But there were still plenty of movies where I watched it and I was like, "Man, Sean Connery was good in that movie. No one else was, but Sean Connery was good." Like <laughs> Fair. And I hate that. That that sucks. Like I don't want to watch something just because person XYZ is in it. Like there should be other reasons to watch the content that you're producing. I think, like, the, the worst, like, instance, the, the sort of bad example I always think of is, like, cameos in Full House. <laughs> <laughs> you mean, like, where the Beach Boys show up and play themselves? Exactly. <laughs> they, they did that shit constantly. And even as a kid, I remember hating it. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, 90s sitcoms most of the time were really bad about it. So, like, to see yeah. Malcolm in the Middle as, like, a late 90s, 2000 sitcom that is so good at it is really, it's a testament to the, the writers and the directors, 100%. For sure. And since we're already talking about her, let's go to our Cloris Leachman Award, which is usually the <laughs> award for best acting, but whenever she actually appears in an episode is instead our award for our favorite Cloris Leachman moment from the episode exactly i 
God, this was so hard. But uh, since I went with the line already uh, and the other scene, I went ahead and gave this to when she very first shows up and she's talking about her apartment burned down. And it's a mystery as it zooms in on the cigarette burning into the sofa as she lights another one. Fair enough. I do also like it. We didn't cover it because it was one of my potential best lines. But when the, like it comes up, they're like trying to figure out uh, what, how it burned down. Francis just said, it was the villagers, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. So funny. Uh, but I gave my Cloris Leachman Award for this episode to Ida crushing Francis's balls. Dude, that. <laughs> oh, I love that. It's so funny. <laughs> I knew you were going to talk about it. Uh, it's much like her stabbing him with a sewing needle in <laughs> Christmas. It's just one of those moments where it's like, Jesus Christ, how, how horrible can you make this woman? Dude, and the look on her face <laughs> is nothing but just sheer, like, resolve. Not, not remorse. Not like, well, you brought this on yourself. No, just like, I will make them burst. Like, she, she is not letting go until he does. Right? <laughs> oh, so good. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Poor Francis. And, uh, moving on to favorite character. Uh, that I, I chose Ida. <laughs> yeah, same. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Ida was amazing. <laughs> the backup, of course, being uh, Abe. Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. From there, we will go to our shittiest and least shitty kid awards. Uh, who did you choose as your shittiest kid? This did take some deliberation, so I know not everyone's going to agree with my choices here, but I actually, I chose Malcolm. Okay. Because of his very clear and deliberate manipulation of Hal... And yeah, I, I had a feeling that was why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because uh, he's very clearly setting all this up, and, you know, he's manipulating Hal to where it'll be a sacrifice, and then I'm doing it for the family, for him to go to this very prestigious and and high-class prep school and, and get away from his family, who's been dragging him down his whole life, and all the things that he complained. Yeah, fuck you, Malcolm. <laughs> and man, does he really dig the dagger in deep with Hal, too. What a jerk. So here's my counter to that, because I assumed this was going to be your interpretation of Malcolm. Uh-huh. Is that Malcolm, at like every turn, has resisted this exact sort of thing and been forced into it. Uh-huh. But like, I, I don't think Malcolm would want to go to like an elite like academy full of other like very intelligent people i think he would actually hate that i, I do think his motives in this were pure and sort of what he presented i don't think he would enjoy it but i also don't think that his motives are pure because he also wants to get away from his quote stupid family end quote so like i get what you're saying and i knew that was going to be your counter argument and i agree that he's not like he's not going you know, and, and jumping with joy, but it's definitely a very clear path to the things that he does want. And it's in another country and away from everyone. And I like I'm not entirely certain that he doesn't have some Francis level shenanigans planned for himself if he were to go to this place. But uh yeah, I just I I can't see I can't see this as wholly innocent or self sacrificial because it's just, it's not the way it comes across at all, and Malcolm is a whiny, self-obsessed uh, little punk. Fair enough, but I did not choose Malcolm because I didn't interpret it that. But I instead, uh, with him removed as an option, chose Reese. Uh, he's not super horrible this episode, but with my interpretation of Malcolm's, you know, motivations for uh, why he's asking about, you know, Hal's financial situation and all of that... He's kind of the only one who does anything shitty this episode. <laughs> he, he tries to steal that tux. Uh, he's complicit in the stealing of that giant violin case. I mean, is he? A little bit. <laughs> Getting locked into something and then someone else taking it well, doesn't really make you complicit. To be fair, locking himself in. Or at you least assume. You assume. We don't know that he locked himself in it. We know that he hid in it. Fair. And again, it's very thin evidence. Mostly this is just sort of a by default choice. I see. 
And who did you uh, take as your least shitty kid? Uh, Francis. Okay. He once again is trying to stand up to Ida. He fails at it because he's a bad hero. He's not really a hero at all, but uh, he tries to be, and I appreciate that about him. Okay, yeah, uh, Francis is a good choice. He does, like, get Lois to confront Ida, which, you know, helps her get through some of her issues as well. Exactly. But I did not choose him. Uh, let me guess. Dewey? Yeah. Yeah. For, yeah. uh, I'm guessing because of the birthday thing? Yes. Yeah, yep. Figured as much. Because Dewey is, uh, getting justice for himself this episode. Like, everything he did was justified, and I think he deserves better. <laughs> and he was a perfect angel. <laughs> I mean, he is a perfect angel, but I knew that he needed to get this award from you uh, and not me. Because if it came from me, it wouldn't mean as much. And uh, it really needed to come from you. I understand. I was feeling the same way when you were uh, giving it to Francis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that this was a time you were going to do the right thing. Thanks, David. You're welcome. <laughs> well, that wraps up our awards, but we have a couple segments left, starting with the Cranston Connection. What do you got for us, David? The Cranston Connection for this one, we see a very interesting thing about Hal uh, that carries on into when he ha dons his ultimate alter, which is Walter White. And that is, this is why Walt gets so upset whenever Jesse doesn't answer his phone. Um, he gets trauma and flashback to this moment and the 68 missed messages. And it it digs in, and this is the era, you know, cell phones are becoming the thing. They've kind of had one for a little while. And this is really where it starts to get that neurotic behavior kind of dug in and it worms its way in to where now people who own a cell phone and don't answer it kind of become a, a huge pet peeve. And uh, this is clearly where that moment starts for uh, Walter. Okay, I, I really like that one. That's funny. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, and that just leaves David's guessing game, which this week is sort of a weird one because, like, all of your guesses are right, but also, like, <laughs> your, like, idea of what the thrust of the episode would be is wrong. Right, yeah. <laughs> Because you, you accurate, accurately predicted that the whole family would be back together, uh, that Francis and Piyama would be there. You sort of waffled back and forth on Ida and ended up on sh she probably would not be there. You uh, successfully predicted that Lois would go into labor, though you thought that would be, like, much earlier and, like, more of a big deal in the episode, and that most of the episode would be centered on how like, uh, having trouble getting there, like, when she goes into labor. Right, yeah. Uh, you, you did also throw in that you thought uh, we would not see the baby this episode, which is true. Yeah, I had to waffle on that one, too. But, yeah, I was like, no, they're going to drag this out. I had to think about it. Yeah. But I gave you a 93%. Because, again, like, everything you said was correct, but <laughs> I, I took a couple off for... Uh, the waffling on Ida and you ending up on her probably not being there is what she's... And then, uh, again, just, like, the, the episode not being centered on what you thought it would be. Fair. And what do you think happens next week on Baby Part 2? I think they're going to do one of the, like, sitcom tropes that I, I don't know, can be done well, but I think is uh, crappy sometimes. So we'll see how they do it. Um... But I, I have a feeling that Lois is not going to get to the hospital since her water already broke and she's on kid number five. I bet anything they're going to do the whole, like, normally it's, you know, the the kid born on the side of the road, but I think they're going to have the kid in the house. Um, I think this is going to be a Francis or Abe steps up moment. Probably Francis, but... uh. Because, you know, like, they've set up the whole thing with him and the calving and everything and have to learn about that. So I'll bet they'll use that as, like, the the excuse to have him do it. And he's the closest to a baby doctor that they have. So I'm, I'm betting either Francis or Abe is going to have to deliver the baby. But I am leaning much harder on Francis. But it, it, it does seem like the kind of thing that people would just default assume Abe knows. <laughs> Fair enough. But again, I think I think it'll be more Francis. I think uh, we're still going to see Hal is delayed. He's definitely not going to get there on time. Okay. Obviously, there will, you know, Ida's going to be there. So 
there's still going to be some dealing with Ida. I'm sure Francis and Ida will continue to fight. Man, there's a lot going on in a lot of ways this could go. You, you do have a lot more to work with than usual. That is true. I do. And that's, 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 it's almost harder because <laughs> there's so many things I could see happening now. <laughs> I wonder, if, are, are they going to include any more of the, going to include any more of the characters? I don't know. That's, that's all I've got. I, I, there's, my mind's going in too many directions, dude. I don't know. Okay. Uh, I do have one more thing I want you to guess on. Because next episode is a recurring character's final episode. Really? Who do you think is going away? Oh, I know who it is. Uh, you, you've you given this one away. Lloyd. Okay. Because uh, I know that he, he goes away soon. And uh, we did see him at the start of the episode. Also... Holy shit, he's starting to get tall and look like he's older than Malcolm, so might be one of the reasons why they were like, yeah, we can't use this character anymore. <laughs> Fair enough. He also looks a lot less dweeby than he did in earlier seasons. That is true. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for listening. If you would like to support us, you can do so on Patreon, where again, we are Let's Play Death Ray, and we also have a merch shop with some Life is Unfair merch now, which will also be in the episode descriptions, which also helps support us, and we greatly appreciate the people that do uh, help us through either of those. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email, where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail, or on Twitter, where we are unfair underscore podcast. If you enjoy the banter back and forth and want to join it live, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray, where we stream every night but Friday and Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. We hang out, have a general good time. You guys get to hang in the chat and talk to us in real time. It's a lot of fun, and we appreciate y'all. And as always, remember, life is unfair. <laughs>